I will tell you, I have been on a variety of antidepressants and there is nothing that works better than a good classic film. That's Will McKinley, and he's going to be your guide to becoming a digital explorer in the terrain of quarantine viewing. Welcome back to another episode of listener-supported KPBS Cinema Junkie podcast. I'm Beth Accomando. We're approaching a dozen weeks in quarantine from this coronavirus pandemic. And as you might hear, I'm working from home with dogs, birds, pool filters, and ice cream trucks to deal with. If you're sheltering at home and starting to grow tired with what Netflix is offering, or maybe you need to cut back on expenses and are looking for something free, then Will McKinley has some suggestions. Will is a classic film lover, and yes, maybe even a little bit of a curmudgeon. I met him at the TCM Classic Film Festival years ago, and he's also a writer and a blogger. When this pandemic hit and theaters were forced to close and film festivals had to cancel or postpone their offerings, we began to talk about what we could watch from home. For many, the obvious choice was Netflix, and that subscription service saw its profits rise as people were stuck at home and looking for escape. But maybe you find Netflix a bit overwhelming in terms of the number of choices it offers. How often have you spent more time cycling through titles than actually sitting and watching a film? Or maybe you want more eclectic options or something cheaper or a curated movie experience. Well, that's what Will is here to guide you through in the hopes of making you a more adventuresome digital explorer. So we'll go over a range of choices from linear TV such as Turner Classic Movies, to boutique streaming services with specialized and curated programming, to do-it-yourself free services, to bulking up your own physical media. I need to take the first of two quick breaks and then I'll be back to talk about movie options in pandemic times with Will McKinley. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, We've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. Will, we had a chance to meet at the TCM Film Festival, and like we did, like some of the other people I've had on recently, we are part of this TCM community and love classic films. And this year, we didn't have the chance to get together at a physical film festival, but TCM did a home edition. And I just want to talk to you a little bit about that because now that so many people are sheltering at home and quarantined and, and looking for ways to watch movies or, or find escape from the doldrums of uh, quarantine life. Um, this TCM Home Edition gave us an opportunity not only to see some great films, but to 
kind of experience it with the community of TCM people that we would normally have at a physical film festival? It's a, a strange thing because the TCM Classic Film Festival is so much about the people. You know, I was at the first one in 2010 and it was sort of like stumbling into Brigadoon, you know, where you wondering if you're in a real place or if it's a dream and it was just such a perfect thing. And every year it's great and fun, but it never matches that excitement of the first one. So part of the attraction for returning, and I've been to seven of them, of the seven of the 10, um, part of the attraction for returning is, you know, the people. So this was a unique situation because, you know, people were like, how are you going to do a virtual film festival? It's just movies. It's how is it any different than what the channel normally does? And this is where you need to be proactive as a viewer. And I know that for many reasons, Twitter gets a bad rap. And there are certainly aspects of it if you don't manage your your Twitter experience well, that can be soul crushing. But if you do manage it well, um, it can be a hugely beneficial thing. And for us in the, in the TCM fan community, we've been at the forefront of, you know, using Twitter as a communication medium with you know, with our like-minded friends for literally as long as Twitter has existed. I, Twitter, I joined Twitter in 2009. I was live tweeting TCM movies before people even knew what live tweeting was. Those relationships, many of them have endured for a decade and they move from the virtual to the real when we see people, you know, in person, like when I see you and our shared friends uh, every year. Well, and honestly, going through the TCM home edition, it was four days and it was 24 hours of film, which you could partake in as much as you wanted. But it was really like this wonderful oasis because there was no politics. There were no like trolls. There were no, like, none of the bad experience of Twitter. If I, I was just following all the people who were watching the movies and you know, the thing about the TCM Film Festival that's great is regular festivals, when you go, it's a crapshoot. You're going to see some great films. You're going to see some duds, but you never know for sure because they're all new. But with the TCM Classic Film Festival, you know, every one of them is a gem and you're not going to have a bad experience. And so this was really this wonderful oasis with people who knew the films, who were, you know, smart, funny knowledgeable and it was really a great experience watching with everyone <laughs> one of the things i always try and do is contextualize for people or you know sort of create on ramps you know in my in my day job you know i do digital marketing and social media and so you know one of my jobs is to get people to literally engage with movies and tv shows you know, as opposed to sort of theoretical, a lot of fandom, a lot of criticism, you know, a lot of film scholarship can be theoretical, you know, where you'll have 
someone who's incredibly informed and incredibly knowledgeable, incredibly insightful, come and talk about a movie for 10 minutes or 15 minutes or half an hour. And I imagine that there are some people in the audience who are like, who this, some classic film from the 1930s is as foreign to them as a Bollywood movie or, a, you know, something in a foreign language or, you know, so for people who don't understand, like a lot of people, a lot of people will say, what do you mean you watch movies with people on Twitter? They don't understand the concept of it. And, you know, I always try and explain to people that the movie isn't on Twitter, the movie is on TV, but Twitter is the communication medium that we use to interact with each other. And the way we do that is you sign up for Twitter. You can, you don't have to follow anybody. All you have to do is search for a hashtag. That's the number sign with whatever thing that you want to talk about. And that's how we congregate. In the case of TCM, there's a hashtag called TCM party that we use and we have used since 2011. And it's where 24 hours a day people congregate. And these are some, in some cases, people who do nothing else on Twitter. They don't follow any newsmakers. They don't read anything else. That is what Twitter is for them, which I think is a, frankly a, a perfect way to use the, you know, the medium. It's everything that's good about it and none of what's bad about it. It is a community that is, for the most part, politics free. And that is one of the great things about microcasting or micro-targeting or however, whatever term you want to use. You know, when you get a small group of people with shared interests and you keep it as pure as you can, the experience can be very positive. And that is what we experienced. And in the case of this particular one, I haven't been able to attend the last few, so this was sort of like a reunion for me. And it did feel like we were all congregating. You know, one of our colleagues, Nora Fiore, who's the Nate Trade Diva on Twitter, hosted a screening of a pre-code movie called Double Harness very early in the morning. So all of us were tweeting, getting up early to, you know, go watch movies. And we were all there. And it was all the same friends that would have been gathered in that little theater in the multiplex on Hollywood Boulevard. So. So yeah, you can say, oh, you know, it's not the same, but in some ways it is the same. And um, I think it's important right now, right, to focus on the positives. I like all the good things in life and I like the leisure to enjoy them. Mind you, I'm not denying that there are moments when I'm rather tempted to dash out and seize the world by the throat and set about making a great man and a thorough nuisance of myself. Then I consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. And I'm tempted no longer. That was a scene from Double Harness, which played at this year's TCM Classic Film Festival Home Edition. One final break, and then I'll be back with the rest of my interview with Will McKinley about being a digital explorer. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. 
We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. What TCM did was they were able to put their channel to use instead of having a film festival. But there's also options for people in terms of streaming, which is a little bit different. And streaming has really just exploded during this pandemic because people are searching for stuff to occupy their kids or to, you know, get escape. So um, you suggested that we talk about being a digital explorer in these times. So uh, how are you defining that? Well, okay. So, you know, in the same way that I I suggest to people who might be platform reverse to check out something like Twitter because you can tailor it to your interests. That's the same spirit. It's um, being an informed or proactive or educated consumer means that, you know, you're not sitting back and waiting to be served, that you are serving yourself from an increasingly rich smorgasbord, right? Let's call it smorgasbord. Um, all-you-can-eat buffet, how about that, Uh, of choices that exist now. You know, so often I hear people saying, oh, it's so sad, you can't watch old movies anymore. And I'm like, what planet are you living in? What timeline are you existing in? Because I grew up, I discovered old movies in the late 70s, you know, when I was seven, eight, nine years old, and I conned my parents into letting me set my alarm clock to get up at two o'clock in the morning so I could watch the Marx Brothers on The Late Show. Who are you? I'm fine, thanks. Who are you? I'm fine, too, but you can't come in unless you give the password. Oh, what is the password? Oh, no, you got to tell me. Hey, I tell what I do, I give you three guesses. It's the name of a fish. Is it Mary? (laughs) Ha, ha! That's an old fish. She isn't. Well, she drinks like one. Let me see. Is it Sturgeon? Eh, hey, you're crazy. Sturgeon, he's a doctor. Cuts you open when you're sick. Now, I give you one more chance. I got it. Haddock. That's a funny. I got a haddock, too. What do you take for a haddock? Well, now, sometimes I take aspirin, or sometimes I take a calomel. Say, I'd walk a mile for a calomel. You mean chocolate calomel. I like that, too. But you know, guess it. And now you can watch every Marx Brothers on your phone in the next eight to 10 hours, you can be done with the entire, their entire body of work. It took me like my entire childhood. And I had to get up at two o'clock in the morning and there was one that I kept falling asleep during and I never saw it. And every time I would set my alarm and I would wake up and I would be like, this is the time I'm gonna watch it. I have you know, four nieces who are all under age 21 and I tell them that and they're like, when were you born? How old are you? The, the theory that, you know, that classic film is, is less readily available today than it used to be, I, I think is, is completely false. And TCM, the TCM at home film festival, I think really sort of like it encompassed the, all of the disruption that's happening right now in the, basically in the, what we'll call like, the, I don't know, the TV viewing world or in the, in the living world. It was an in-person event that became virtual. TCM, although it is a linear channel, 
is experienced by an increasing percentage of its viewership as a streaming product, meaning that they're accessing it via a streaming service like YouTube with live TV or you know Hulu Live or Sling TV or one of these other like IPTV services, you know, that are sort of duplicating what you used to get from a cable package, except they're doing it over the internet. And there was a huge component in this festival of non-professional or let's say user-generated content. The TCM hosts were like checking in live from their apartments, you know, with their cat in the, and then they were interviewing each other. And there were even fans that were doing YouTube videos and Periscope videos and, you know, and everybody that a, a month ago had no idea what TikTok is. All these people are on TikTok now, like your uncle's on TikTok. It's like, you know, this is part of this like paradigm shift that we are in the middle of. And it's, it's been a slow roll for the last decade, but all of a sudden, because of this pandemic, um, there's, we're seeing the paradigm shift like live happening live. And that almost never happens. You know, it's always so gradual that you never notice it, right? And now we're seeing it, we're living through it because we're seeing all of our friends, family, neighbors who now have all of a sudden all this time on their hands are, are watching, you know, TV all day or they're watching content on their TV set. Um, you know, the stats are like, amazing it's like a, uh streaming traffic to tvs has more than doubled just in the you know in the last month and i am genuinely convinced that years from now media historians will look back on this as the like you know as a turning point in for this technology well this being a potential turning point you've broken this down into like three categories for the digital explorer, so to speak. Um, you've mentioned streaming and linear, and then there's also physical media. So let's tackle this so that if people are interested in kind of maximizing their time while sheltering at home, they can explore as many different things as possible. So streaming is something that most people have heard of. Um, so what are some of your recommendations for kind of how to tackle streaming services to kind of maximize your experience with that? Okay. So when, when people, you know, when you'll say to somebody who's maybe not, you know, necessarily, uh, I don't know, experienced in this area or savvy, you'll say, you know, streaming, uh, and they'll be like, oh, you know, like, like Netflix and yes, Netflix is at this point, you know, globally, like the biggest thing in streaming, but it is such a small part of what streaming is. And to make it even more complicated, there are like subcategories within streaming that I think some people aren't even aware of. Like, for example, you have the, the big three, just like, you know, how in TV, there used to be the big three networks in streaming it sort of duplicates that there's the big the big three and there's uh netflix hulu and amazon they're like the top three in terms of you know content and traffic and they've been around for 
you know, a decade or more, you know, this is how most people experience streaming, but they all fall into a specific category and that's subscription video on demand, SVOD. So that's something that you pay a monthly fee to subscribe to. That's not all streaming is. Streaming can also be a free streaming service like Canopy, which is available from many local libraries and universities and doesn't cost you anything if you have a library card or a student ID card. Streaming can also be these small little sort of boutique streaming services that get more into specialty content. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, Netflix doesn't have any old movies, so whatever, you know, I'm not gonna spend the $12.99 a month. Well, then check out the Criterion Channel, which launched about a year ago and is uh, $10.99 a month or $100 for, for the year. The more outlandish or silly the premise, the more attracted I am at trying to make art out of it. I do think as curators, you know, we have a responsibility to show it all. How do you take a camera and capture visually something that is, in a sense, extraordinary about the world? You know, you watch that movie and you don't see movies the same way anymore. Josh just comes up to me and like, I need you to cry. And I was like, okay, and I can do that. It just, you have to, I have to go into this really dark place. You know, I don't do psychoanalysis, I, I do cinema. If you check it out right now, it's got something like 2,000 titles, and it's a lot of classic films, a lot of out, uh, art house stuff. This is, you know, a lot of the legacy content for the beloved streaming service called Filmstruck that was discontinued last year when Warner Media decided to, you know, launch their own corporate branded streaming service, which leads to the next category, which is this burgeoning new category of these studio branded streaming services. You know, it used to be Disney would have their new releases on Netflix and, you know, somebody else would have it on some other in the same way that a studio would produce content for a television network. Well, the studios, you know, remembered the old days before the antitrust lawyers made the motion picture studios no longer own movie theaters as they did for, you know, up until the 1950s. Now studios have realized, wow, if we control the distribution of our own programming, then we don't have to negotiate with anybody. We don't have to share profits with anybody. And thus something like Disney Plus is born. Okay, everybody, let's take it from the top. Something's happening. Something extraordinary. Something exciting. Something authentic and true. Everything changes now. And snap. Or HBO Max, which is starting 
in about a month or NBC Universal's Peacock, which is coming, which is available in sort of like a beta now for Comcast subscribers, but going to be available nationally middle of July. So that's a category of streaming that you talk about paradigm shifts or disruption. I mean, that is threatens to sort of upend this sort of, you know, everybody congregating behind their own studio branded, you know, paywalls is also going to change the way we stream and how we watch. Because once upon a time, you could subscribe to Netflix and you could watch Friends one day and you could watch, you know, Casablanca the next day and you could watch Stranger Things the next day. And now we're getting to a point where the rights holders are pulling back their stuff so they can control it and monetize it for their own companies. And, you know, these third party entities like Netflix are increasingly all about their own original content that they're creating. So these are just a couple examples of the different like types of streaming services. And, and then you have even on top of that, another category that I think some people don't even realize exists, which is um, advertiser supported streaming. There are in the last few years, there's been like a gold rush in the creation of these completely free streaming services with commercials. And in some cases, it's content that's available to watch like on demand, like you pick it. In other cases, it's linear streams that you're jumping into. And in each case, it's free. And some people are like, oh, I don't want to watch commercials. Well, like that's what we did on TV for our whole lives, right? <laughs> and it's, I mean, it's like people are like, they put commercials on streaming. How dare they? Um, you can sample it and you don't have to, I mean, HBO Max is going to cost $15 a month. Who do you know that's like, oh yeah, I can't wait to pay $15 a month, but I don't really know what's on it, but I'm all in with a, you know, with an ad supported streaming service. And that's something like IMDB TV, uh, Pluto TV, Tubi TV, Zumo, Crackle, Stir, Roku Channel. I mean, I could go, the list goes on and on and on. And they're all free. And there's tons of stuff. Is there filler on some of these platforms? Yes. Is there an annoyance factor with commercials when they are not deftly managed? Yes. But again, if you explore and you find the ones that work, you are the lucky winner. In my case, I explored, I found that IMDB TV, which is owned by Amazon, is the best of these. So for example, I was watching the other day, The Rockford Files and Columbo and the 1960s vampire soap opera, Dark Shadows. And these are all available on IMDb TV with commercials, but the commercials are seamlessly integrated. A, a lot of the knocks on ad supported streaming services are, you know, the commercials look like they were inserted by like a toddler with a mallet. <laughs> they repeat the same annoying commercial. Like if you listen to Spotify, the ad supported version of Spotify, you'll hear the same commercial every break. And it's like, oh, enough already. 
IMDb does a good job of duplicating the sort of broadcast experience of commercial insertion. Now that, again, this is a topic that most people would never even think, wow, that's a thing to think about, right? Well, and also the, the, the content you just mentioned are all television shows designed for commercial breaks. So it's, it's actually mm -hmm. like the authentic experience. <laughs> it's, it's completely authentic. Actually, in a, in, a, in a strange way, it can feel more authentic. So I do have to sort of like, I don't know, backwards preface, preface this by saying that I do look at classic film and classic television as very close cousins, you know, for a number of reasons. And I don't make a distinction between watching James Garner in Support Your Local Sheriff or Murphy's Romance or whatever versus watching him in The Rockford Files. You know, it, it feels the same to me. And in a weird sort of way, it feels more genuine with an ad or two placed in there. It's like the pace of it. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's it's more of an annoyance when it's a theatrical film where those ads are just awkwardly inserted without thought for, you know, where the break is. But I think for watching old TV shows, it doesn't seem like it should be annoying at all. Yes. I mean, I would, that is an important caveat that when you are sampling, you know, if you want to do a search for these, um, you know, search for AVOD or ad supported, you know, streaming, ad supported video on demand, you know, the ones that are, are more TV centric, you know, maybe a, a, a more positive experience for you. They, um, they are, there are certainly plenty of movies that run on these things, but you know, but then again, it's sort of like, I'm, you know, reminded of how I experienced every single old movie until we got our first VCR for Christmas in 1980, which is, was with commercials. And cut up and mm -hmm. bad like <laughs> in some cases bad prints that had been like sitting in the shelves of my local tv station since the eisenhower administration you know so it's great to be a sort of purist but at a certain point you know if i'm like look there's a movie you want to see it's on now it's free every whatever 10 or so minutes you may have to endure a bit of a like sloppy ad break but it's kind of how we used to do it anyway. The other thing right now is there are a lot of people who have lost their jobs or are unable to work. So if yes. if money is an issue, then finding some of these free streaming services, even if you have to put up with some ads, is an option that uh, you can take advantage of. Totally. I mean, it's, it's so interesting because it is just a strange quirk of history that these three major studio branded streaming services are all launching during this period where everybody's home. And you would think, well, this is like a gift to them, right? Because they have this huge audience that is sitting there at home waiting to sample their content. But they also have this huge audience in a lot of cases that is making less money or no money who doesn't have $15 a month for HBO Max and another $7 a month for Disney Plus, as well as the like, most people that I know have at least one of the sort of big three, Netflix, Amazon, or Hulu. So 
adding to your bill and all of a sudden it's like that weight that was lifted from your shoulders when you cut the cable cord and you were like, I am no longer beholden to, you know, the gatekeepers. I'm a free agent to do what I like. And they've just recreated it in a different form. You can kind of beat them at their own game by watching the ad supported services. And I say beat them knowledgeable of the fact that the major studio players have now bought these ad supported streaming services. So Viacom CBS owns now owns Pluto TV and Comcast NBC Universal owns Zumo and Sony is a part owner and Crackle and it's like they're going to get you whichever <laughs> way you want to pay up front okay they'll take it you want to pay with commercials okay they'll take it so you can't win so you just do what you can what you can afford best what you find best use of your time money expense and if you want to be super pure about streaming you know then the the sort of like final big category of streaming is is what they call like transactional video on demand where you are basically either renting or buying the film and this this is from like providers like iTunes or Amazon or Google Play Fandango also Fandango and Vudu now both owned by Comcast so in that case you know you're either renting the movie for 24 or 48 hours for 2 or 3 dollars or 4 dollars or in the case of a number of movies that have foregone the theatrical window, you're paying $20 to watch them and not to own them, but to, you know, to rent them. And a lot of people are like, how dare they charge, try and charge me $20 for Trolls World Tour? And I'm like, have you been to the movies in New York City recently? You go on a Thursday morning at 1130 and you're paying like 1925 you know, and people are like, that's insane, but that's the reality of it. And the fact of the matter is that you go to see, and I do this a lot because as I mentioned, you know, I have four nieces, you know, you go to see a kid's movie with a couple adults and a couple kids. And all of a sudden you have to explain to them why they can't go to college anymore because <laughs> you've spent it all on the movies. Whereas if you're now sitting in your house, you could rent Trolls World Tour or Scoob or whatever you want for 20 bucks and the whole family can watch it. You know, no babysitter, no gasoline, no $10 bag of popcorn, no whatever, 20 bucks. And people are like, it's ruining the theatrical experience. I'm as pure a purist as you're going to find, but you know, it's like, you got to get to where the eyeballs are. It's funny. When people mention the whole purist experience, the the thing I always think of is Brazil, when they're watching the Marx Brothers on these horrible little tiny screens, whenever they can catch like a second or two break from being under the watchful eye of their boss. And there's something about that, that it, no matter how pure an experience you can get in the theater and all that, there's moments when you just need like a movie, no matter what format it is, if it's on your phone or if it's, you know on a computer monitor, but like sometimes you just need something and you'll take any yeah, form. And, you know, and it's like, there are so many, I mean, you even 
whatever snobbery is always going to be part of the film experience even like with the tcm thing there are some people who are like i won't live tweet because it's disrespectful to the movie you shouldn't be typing on your laptop while the movie's on blah 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 and okay i mean whatever there's a point to that but i'll give you a for instance like my uh younger nieces who both of whom are under 13 do not understand why you see some movies in a building and some movies in your house right they do not perceive they don't understand okay so the older one maybe under maybe gets now the sort of like you know the business behind it right but if i said to her oh you know that building that you know, we go to every now and then, um, we're not going to go there anymore. We're just going to watch it at home. She could care less. You can weep for the, the lost children of the internet generation, you know, or you can say, this is a generation that is making their own way. And maybe studios or maybe studio theater chains need to do a better job of demonstrating why you should go to that building and pay $20 per person rather than sitting home in your house, everybody watching the same thing for $20. Now, you've also come up with kind of a subcategory of streaming that you call citizen streaming or kind of do-it-yourself streaming. And what defines that? So this is a this is a great, I mean, it's not a byproduct of the pandemic. It's something that has been happening for, you know, as long as social media has existed. But something fun is happening since we're all locked at home. And that is certain people are um, hosting live transmissions of film and creating much the same way that TCM sort of created this virtual film festival via their linear channel, these people are creating little shared experiences via streaming platforms or social media. Like for example, there's a silent film accompanist in New York City named Ben Modell who hosts silent film shorts every Sunday afternoon. He's been doing this now for a month and a half. Hey everybody, it's not quite showtime yet, but you are at the silent comedy watch party and we're glad you're here we'll start in a few minutes you still have a little time before you have you... some time to make popcorn if you're in new york it's a drippy day perfect day for silent movies if you're in california make a sandwich yeah. and if you're in europe have a cocktail yeah yeah or, or <laughs> make some make some tea uh but we'll start in a, in a few minutes but in the meantime here's here's something that's about to come out of my hands <laughs> about as low-fi as you can get, like live from his apartment on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. He's got a piano. He's like, the great thing about the piano is like you never have to update the operating system, right? And he has his friend who, a guy named Steve Massa, who's a film historian, call in via FaceTime and they like put the phone up to the, I mean, it's, it's so low-fi, right? But it's like, perfect in its low finest and then because it really then becomes all about the movies like I, I tuned in yesterday and he had two one reelers and a two reeler all from the 20s the two reeler was a charlie chase two reeler 
called his wooden wedding, which was the funniest thing I've seen in like weeks. And I was watching some guy put it up on the wall of his apartment in New York City via YouTube. And this is while I'm sitting at, at a TV that has probably a trillion hours of accessible video content available to me literally at the on a voice command through my Alexa remote. And I'm watching a guy show movies on his wall. And there's a couple of these. There's a, a great podcast, for, since I know folks listening to your show are podcast fans. If you're an old movie fan, great podcast called Attaboy Clarence, which is run by Adam Roach. Um, and he does a weekly film club for his patrons. And you only have to be like pay a couple dollars a month. And he sets up uh, like a dedicated room on this platform called Watch Together. He provides the movie. And there's like a little chat window where, you know, your fellow fans, it's basically like the sort of watching TCM with Twitter, except it's, you know, it's an, it's a non broadcast experience. There's another group called retro format silent films that does something similar to what Ben is doing on. So they do it on, uh, on Facebook on Monday nights. And then, of course, you know, you have the citizen broadcasters. Again, I mentioned Nora Fiore, who um, has been a guest on your show previously, who every now and then will just pop up on Periscope talking about great old film noir. So social videos are not just like jokey, like things of your cat or people dancing in front of the mirror. There's also like sort of meaty content that if again but you have to explore you have to take the time to to find it but it is out there and the very interesting thing about the the period of time that we are in right now i think is that um you know in disruption there's in chaos there's opportunity i think there's great opportunity right now for sampling and for people to maybe take a flyer on things that they might not have, you know, done when they were busy or in their normal routine. Now, in contrast to streaming video, which or streaming shows, which is kind of you get to choose when, there's linear TV. So what options do you have with that that might make that something you'd want to explore? Well, so linear TV, like linear TV can actually nowadays take a lot of forms, you know, a lot, we mentioned when we're talking about the TCM Film Festival that a lot of people are watching TCM via these streaming providers. For a little while, I did not have, for, for reasons too complicated and tragic to explain, I did not have TCM for a while and I survived. The solution to my lack of TCM was something called AT&T Watch TV and this is what they call a skinny bundle. And for $15 a month, you get a small collection of channels, one of which is TCM. And here's where it gets even better. If you have certain AT&T phone plans, you get it for free. And you can, there's an app that you can watch on your 
Amazon Fire TV or your Roku player or whatever, you know, platform, streaming platform you use, streaming device you use. So I essentially got TCM back again for free. So whenever people complain to me, oh, you know, uh, I wish TCM would just make themselves available streaming. We've been asking for this for years and years and years. And of course it remains to be seen the level of presence TCM will have on the new HBO Max, which is a, you know, TCM is owned by Warner Media, which in turn is owned by AT&T. TCM will have a presence. They have already announced that TCM will curate, you know, classic films on this new service. But again, it's $15 a month. In this particular case, you can get TCM if you're an AT&T phone. Uh, customer. You can get it for free. And the great thing about all of these internet delivered solutions for watching TCM and other linear channels is in addition to getting the linear channel, you also get all of the on-demand options. So TCM cable subscribers and satellite subscribers get access to something called Watch TCM, which is their, their smartphone app. But, you know, in order to sign on to that and watch all the movies that exist on it, you know, and at any given time, it's, I don't know, something like 50, 60, 70 movies. You need to be an active like cable or satellite subscriber. However, if you subscribe to one of these, you know, internet protocol TV services like Sling TV or YouTube TV or Hulu or, you know, AT&T Watch TV, et cetera, you also have all of the on-demand options that cable subscribers get on the app so it's sort of like it's a better experience in fact than the traditional method of getting tcm which is you know which is cable tv and that's the thing that people are like oh you know i'm tired of paying for cable i'm just going to cut the cord and and tough it out well there are ways again if you are if, if you explore and you are inventive will you pay 15 dollars a month to watch tcm i would i would pay that to TCM directly if they offered their own branded channel. And, it, you know, in my case, I'm getting it for free, but if you can get TCM for $15 via something like the, the skinny bundle, sounds like a great deal, you know, and then there's a, another category entirely that, again, I don't know that people are necessarily aware of, and that's something called the, you know, the, the DigiNet. So about 10 years ago or so when television switched from analog to digital, um, all of a sudden there was all of this bandwidth in, so the normal TV channel signal, right, was a certain size. And when the uh, broadcasting switched from analog to digital, there was now all this space within it where other things could be sent. So um, all of a sudden you now have like, channel 2.2 or channel 2.3 or channel 2.4 and all of these channels like me tv and cozy tv and comet and get tv basically didn't exist 10 years ago because there was no market for them now if you're mr tv station owner it used to be that you know, you only had one channel on your frequency, you now can have two or five or more. 
So there are, are these packaged networks that uh, local stations can essentially buy and they tend to, you know, the deals tend to happen in station groups because everything happens in like groups nowadays. But one of the best of these, again, for, for your film lover audience is something called Movies TV Network, which is a partnership uh, which is co-owned by um, Weigel Broadcasting, which is the same company that owns MeTV, which is the classic television channel. Movies TV Network is airing great old classic films, a lot of the same stuff or, you know, same errors that you see on TCM, except it's free over the air. And these channels are available literally for free with, you know, an antenna that you put on your TV or just like, you know, back in the good old fashioned days. They're also available in some markets on the local cable systems will carry them in some cases. In some cases, they also stream Comet, for example, which runs a number of like horror and science fiction movies. They stream on the web, they stream on various of the ad supported streaming services. So again, there are many different ways to uh, you know, to watch these things. And then there's something called Lowcast, which is basically a service that aggregates all of the local channels available in your market. And you can watch it on your devices or your TV using an app. Um, there is some debate. This has been tried before in recent years. Um, and it has been, they, those entities no longer exist. So there is some debate whether what this company is doing, you know, is, is legal. Uh, but until that time, until the lawyers have hashed it out, you can now get, you don't even have to subscribe to Lowcast. It's free. You can basically get every broadcast over the air channel that's available in your market, including all of these great nostalgia themed digital sub channels like movies, TV network, and you can watch them on your TV. So again, this is not the kind of thing that like a lot of people know about, but if you do a little digging, you find these great like little gems, you know? Mm -hmm. All that we've been talking about so far are, or the, the streaming services and, and linear TV. The thing about all this is you are at the mercy of whatever content they have available. And if they are running something you love and then suddenly pull it, you may no longer have access to it. Or, God forbid, if the internet goes out during this pandemic at any point, you may want to turn to that old-fashioned thing of physical media. <laughs> when I was a boy, we yeah. used to watch our movies <laughs> on plastic little boxes with tape inside of them. <laughs> that would jam up. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's so funny because, you know, everything old is new again, right? It's like, <clears throat> all of a sudden people wondered why the show that they like is no longer on the streaming service that they were subscribing to primarily so they could watch that show they like, right? Or they're wondering why now that everybody's home and watching TV all day long, like why all my movies look blurry on my new 4K, you know, fancy schmancy TV? Or wait, how come this movie I'm watching that I rem remember like, 
it's a member of my family. Like, why is it different? Why did, why does all of a sudden like the mermaid and splash have hair over her tushy when she didn't, when I saw it in the movies. Right. So these are all examples of the drawbacks of allowing some other entity, you know, to control your viewing experience. Um, or like Greedo's new line in Star Wars, McClunky. So, yes. And so, exactly. It's like George Lucas, you know, whatever, fiddling with Star Wars, you know, a million times. And it's, I have to say that I was really impressed with Disney Plus and the extent to which classic content is front and center on Disney Plus. Whatever you want to say about Disney, and there is plenty you can say about Disney. There's this thing that everyone does, like movies, they're not that old. What, like 30 years? Disney acknowledges that movies have been around for a long time, and TV has been around for a long time, and there's value in that content. It's not meant to be ignored or hidden away or locked in vaults, never to be seen again. I'm looking at you, Universal with the Universal and Paramount titles that have been sitting in your, vo in your vault gathering dust. You know, it's like you control the experience when you own the movie. You know, I tweet about this a lot and I have people who are like, you know, whatever, D physical media is grandpa technology. And I'm like, then, then bring me my slippers because I'm grandpa. The idea that you would pay and no offense to Friends fans, right? The idea that you would pay $15 a month because Friends is on HBO Max when you can buy the entire series for $54 on Blu-ray. I like, I don't understand that. I do not understand anything about that. And people are like, it's so convenient. And I'm like, you're putting a thing in a machine. It's not like you're sitting on a bike pedaling it so there's pictures on your screen right it's like it's not that hard and it is such a you know it's an experience that you pay for once you own forever they're never you're never gonna no one's ever gonna come to your house and be like sorry you lost the rights to this you know or sorry we don't think you should see cartoon characters smoking so we're gonna borrow your DVDs and erase them, right? It's like, and you're like, oh, who cares about cartoon characters smoking? But you know what? It's like, this is a slippery slope. What, whatever, covering Daryl Hannah's butt in, in Splash or, you know, cutting up the classic Disney animated features because there are things that are problematic for today's viewers, you know, uh, it's not a good thing. And um, it's just a, you know, it's the same sort of like, people need to trust that when something exists, it exists and it's real and it has not been tampered with. And that goes for your news experience as a, you know, as a voter, your experience as a consumer, your experience as a viewer. Um, so again, without getting on a soapbox too late, um, there's complete control when you own it. And 
it also always looks the same. It doesn't matter if you're watching it when all of your neighbors are watching TV or none of your neighbors are watching TV. And in the case of, I mean, there are all these like boutique labels that are doing such great things. And uh, it's so much fun. It's like, when was the last time someone like wrapped up an iTunes file and gave it to you for Christmas, right? It's like, <laughs> you know, it's not the same as, you know, people tweet out like old VHS copies of their favorite movies. And it's like, and we're all like, yeah, I've owned that movie like on five different formats. You know, it's like a badge of honor, but it's also like a memento. It's like a personal relic of your life. You can remember who you were when you bought that like public domain VHS of It's a Wonderful Life from the like table on 42nd Street, you know, in the winter, right? It's like, <laughs> sorry, I got a little, you know, personal there, but it's like, um, this is what physical media does for us. You know, it's like, you know, it's part of our lives as film buffs. And I, I, I'm always like weirdly dismayed when I see that people have sort of kicked it to the curb, you know, because of this sort of perceived convenience factor, you know? Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't see it. Now you are someone who really loves classic films and I do. you see this pandemic as potentially having some hopeful moments for maybe getting more people to jump on that bandwagon. I do. You know, I see so many people on social media and I'm sorry for beginning every answer with that, which implies <laughs> that I don't do anything but sit in front of my laptop, which is entirely true. Um, <laughs> but anyway, I see so many people on social media and they're like, I just got my kid to watch Singing in the Rain. Or, you know, we have, we have a mutual friend who posts videos of his like two-year-old daughter, you know, like watching Godzilla movies. And I'm like, oh, this is like, you know, why I would consider having, only reason I would consider having children is to indoctrinate them, right? But so <laughs> you have this opportunity now in a lot of cases where you have captive audiences. People are like, why is, is the only time of the year that people watch old movies? Why is it holidays, right? It's like, that's the only time of the year where you see old movies on TV. It's the only time where people, certain people watch them. And there's two reasons for that. One is that holidays make people sort of generally nostalgic, right? For the past and family traditions, which include, can include viewing traditions from past, you know, generations. But you also have a captive audience, right? So, you know, if everybody's sitting around, rather than arguing about politics, you can put on Miracle on 34th Street, right? On Christmas Eve. And, mm -hmm. and I, that same sentiment, that same thing, the same reason that people watch the Ten Commandments on Palm Sunday or whatever, I think can carry over to this moment in history now. You have captive audience members, very, very possibly, in your home, in your apartment, um, who are willing to try stuff. Like when your refrigerator is bare, right? You will eat things you would never have imagined. And you're like, oh, that's pretty good. Um, show your kids, your significant others, your whomever, 
you know, some of the old stuff that you like, or better yet, just sort of rather than making a thing of it, right? Where it's like, you know, kids sit down, we're going to watch, you know, something that's educational or that, you know, whatever that mommy or daddy likes, which is an immediate reason to dislike it. If it's just on and it's a presence and they see you enjoying it and how important it is to you, this kind of thing can sort of, I don't know, seep into their heads, their hearts, whatever, like almost via, you know, osmosis. <laughs> and it's a great way. This is a un very, very unique opportunity. When, when will be the, hopefully never again, will we have family members, significant others, et cetera, sort of locked up with us for long periods of time. This is an opportunity to share the things you love with them, but you know, whatever, low key, don't oversell it. Don't like try too hard or make it a thing. Just, you know, have it sort of be on and, and, you know, and share it or turn it into a game. It's like, you know, how many different versions of little women can we watch in the same day? Right. Right. And it's like, and the, the, the carrot at the end of the stick is they get to watch the new one. Right. Cause everybody wants to watch the new thing, but in the process, they're going to watch maybe the, the thirties one and the like Elizabeth Taylor one and whatever. And, you know, and you can turn it into a game. There's lots of different ways you can do it. All I'm saying is that like, you don't sit around and watch that tiger show on, I'm not judging you. I'm not, but <laughs> It's like there's so much great stuff you could watch. Don't just watch whatever the junk food. Watch some good, like wholesome, some good, healthy, vitamin-filled classic films. So what would be your kind of parting words for the digital explorer in the coronavirus pandemic? <laughs> First of all, you know, number one, keep the faith. I mean, this is like, I don't want to get like super, you know, deep or whatever, but keep the faith, you know, like reach out to your friends, use things like, if you're feeling disconnected, use things like something like Twitter to connect with your fellow film fans. I will tell you, I have been on a variety of antidepressants and there is nothing that works better than a good classic film. And if you're sharing it with other people who feel the same way and you're like, oh my God, look at that crazy hat. Or is that a doctor smoking in the hospital? I mean, it's like, this is fun. And to, it's for some of us, like finding these people that have always loved the same things that you have always loved can be a life altering experience. So I encourage you to do that, like reach out to your you know, your fellows via the technology that exists and share these things with them and, um, you know, give yourself a treat and watch something super creative, stylish, fun. You know, it's like, this is what life is all about. And if people are interested in following you or finding the things you write about, where can they find your work or find you? The best way to find me um, is on Twitter at, at Will McKinley, W-I-L-L-M-C-K-I-N-L-E-Y, uh, at Will McKinley. Um, and I am always up for a great chat about classic films or classic television. Um, 
not super knowledgeable about the Tiger Show, but uh, everything else I'm good on. So please reach out, you know, and say hello. All right. Well, I want to thank you very much for uh, directing people to some ways to find maybe new options during their stay at home and binge watching. Excellent. Thank you so much for having me, Beth. Always a pleasure. That was writer, blogger, and classic film enthusiast Will McKinley. Next up on Cinema Junkie, I'll delve into pandemic films so we can address all our fears and anxieties about the current pandemic we're dealing with. And later, I'll speak with the Doctor of the Dead about which is worse, coronavirus or a zombie plague. Till our next film fix, I'm Beth Accomando, your resident cinema junkie.